Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it's so good to be here today. So uh, last week, uh, I hope you all had a fantastic weekend off. I was not here preaching, but I was back there running camera this hour. And I got to tell you, I have a whole new respect for all of you. Thank you to our tech people worship team. Man, it is hard enough to keep up with Todd. I can't imagine what it's like keeping up with me. So... Hey, if you're visiting with us today, we're just glad you're here. Welcome after the service. We got a meet and greet. I'd love to just shake your hand if you're visiting with us over here in our response room and uh, just say hi. This whole series came from an idea. My wife has the love language of gifts. And so for my whole marriage, my wife would make me these gifts and I'd look at them and say, thanks, that's fantastic. And then I would go out and spend four or five or six hours shopping for the perfect present. And I'd give it to her and she'd say, Thanks. I spent all this time making you something, and all you did is go out and buy me something. We had to figure that out in our marriage. But what I learned after many, many years is my wife appreciates time, effort, and a handmade gift. So for Christmas last year, I decided to make her a gift. The problem is I didn't have the right tools. So we were about two weeks out from Christmas time, and I put it all together, and because I'm not a builder, I did it all out of order. I'd already painted it, I'd already stained it, and I'd already put all the trim on. And so when I put it together and found that the drawers didn't actually go in, or actually they went in, they wouldn't come back out. I had a problem. I got them back out, and now I'm faced with the decision. We're two weeks out. Do I take it all apart and try to rebuild it? Or do I take the easy route, the faster route, and try to sand off or shave off the difference? Except that when you're talking about an eighth of an inch, that's a lot of shaving for all of you who work with wood. You're like, you're an idiot. I'm a pastor, okay? I get paid to do this for a living. Let's just say I tried to cut corners. I tried to take the fast route. I tried to shave off what was needed. And after weeks and weeks and weeks of shaving and shaving and shaving and it wasn't getting better, it finally just dawned on me, I'm not gonna have this thing done by Christmas. So I presented it to my wife as best as I could. I cast the vision for the gift as I showed her what wasn't complete and to this day is still not complete. And that's important because today's topic I think perfectly fits into this so incredibly well because you will inevitably in this room, you are either right here right now dealing with this or you will one day. It's just a matter of time. And if you try to cheat and take the fast route, the easy route, the quick route, you will find that you find yourself at a very frustrating place as things did not turn out like you planned. Here's what today's topic is really about. So, You'll find this in the app if you have our Kingsway Christian Church app. You can download it. The whole outline is in there, all these passages and a couple of notes. This this is what I want you to get, though. There are two gifts, two gifts that God immediately offers us. And we demand that everybody else does the same. They are also the same two gifts or actions that we are least likely to offer others when they are needed the most. Forgiveness and patience. Now think about what that just said for a minute there. That God is always forgiving of you. Have you noticed that? You go to him, Father, I'm sorry. He forgives. God is always patient with you. Let me just ask you this question. Is there anything in your life right now that God has been trying to get you to work on for years, not hours, years, and you still haven't gotten it right? When was the last time God completely crushed you? Well, you're sitting here, so my guess is never. Since he has the power to absolutely eliminate you from the earth if he wants to, and he hasn't, he must be being patient with you. 
Now, I talk a lot about the first one. I'm gonna focus today on the second one because ironically, this is the very thing that we demand of our friends, our parents, our spouses, our neighbors, our bosses, and it's also the very thing that we are so slow to give everybody else, isn't it? Just yesterday, my wife's spouse was being difficult. And I got to tell you, she needs to get a new model. In my defense, because my pride is in the way here, I, uh, I had a really long, tiring week. So I'll put it that way. It's a long story, but I was tired. And I was being grumpy, and I was snapping at her. And I was on my way out the door to get my hair cut. And she finally just looked at me. She's like, what is your deal? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm tired, and I'm grumpy, and I'm sorry. You know, I'm saying it all like this. And here's what's going on in my head. You need to forgive me because I'm trying to talk to you about something and we need to get back to that. What am I really saying? I need you just to be patient with me, extend grace to me, and get over it. However, isn't it ironic when my wife is being difficult, if my wife had ever been difficult, (laughs) that I want to not necessarily extend the same patience. I want to extract punishment. I want to extract judgment. I want her to at least have to say five times, you were right, honey. Something. That's amazing, isn't it? We demand this of other people. We require this in our relationships. And then, and then ironically, we are so slow to give patience to others. We expect other people to do what we believe is right, what we believe is best, and do it right now. How? Why? Because I'm right. What else do you need to know? And when other people don't do what we know they ought to do, believe they ought to do, or convince they ought to do when they ought to do it, don't we get angry? We feel this thing in our, the self-righteousness and our gut start to bubble up. We start to be just, just, and it starts to bubble up in anger. And anger plays out in many, many different ways. Anger could play out in explosive words. Anger could play out in sometimes scary and explosive actions, anger could play out in jealousy uh, or rage or greed or withholding love or passive aggressiveness. It plays out in all these different ways, but it's coming from this root of you need to stop, you need to change, I'm right, and then it blows up. And that's why Solomon writes in the Proverbs, I love this, Proverbs chapter 15, verse one, he says this, a gentle answer deflects anger but harsh words make tempers flare. Man, sometimes I just can't stand the Proverbs because <laughs> they're so darn convicting. And yeah, sometimes you gotta translate, like what's going on here? But think about it, what Solomon's trying to get to is when something's going on and you feel that rage coming up inside you, you're getting angry, you could be totally right to get angry. His point is if you'll just... <sighs> What happens is your gentle response actually deflects the anger and the debate and the heat coming at you. And then if you go the opposite way, you can make everything worse. I do a lot of um, talking to people and usually by the time people get to me, they're already pretty far down the road of whatever pain or brokenness they've been in. They've been fighting with their spouse, with their kids, with their parents, with their neighbor, with somebody in their life group, and it's been going on for a while. Rarely does anybody come to me at the first sign of trouble. They come to me at the point where it's like, I'm done, I'm walking away, pastor. How do I get out of this? And usually what they mean is out of the relationship. 
Or they're putting it all on the table like, fix us. I'm like, whoa, we got a lot to unpack. I thought Todd last week, if you weren't here because it was Memorial Day, you've got to go listen. He did a fantastic job. And one of the things I told Todd as we were kind of talking through the message, by the way, I can't stand it when other people preach and convict me. Man, I even gave him the topic. It's like, here's what I want you to talk about. And he did it, and I was like, ugh, go talk about something else next time. Anyway. I often do this in my office, okay? So I'll be sitting with somebody at the table and we're going through some conflict. I'll draw a little heart on the board. And this goes right along with what Todd said last week. If you don't know, you, you missed some of this. You won't get all the richness. I'll draw a little heart on the board. And then as they're talking or after they've talked for a while, I'll write down all around the outside of the heart. Here's all the things that are causing the problems. It's money, it's kids, it's, uh, you know, whatever it is. It's job, it's busyness, it's blah, 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 blah. It's all these things on the outside. But if we deal with all these things on the outside, we never get to the heart of the issue. I learned this from Frozen, by the way. We never learn the heart of the issue. I confess that out loud. I'm transparent. And if we could deal with the heart of the issue, the heart of the problem, all of a sudden these things on the outside start to go away. But if I could fix your financial problems and never really deal with this thing, I mean, you can get on a budget. You can start living within your means. But if we don't deal with the heart of it, then something else is just going to go right in its place. And that's the same thing with patience. See, if you're responding out of anger, if you're responding in a way that is making everything worse, things get worse. But if I can come right down here to the heart, if I can deal with the heart of it, then I can start to make some of these other passive-aggressive and anger responses and, and, and all those other things start to go away because we're dealing with your heart. So what's the heart of the issue? Well, the heart of the issue <laughs> is you don't understand patience. I love this. Solomon goes on another proverb. He says this. Proverbs chapter 25, 15. Patience can persuade a prince, and soft speech can break bones. This is a great little verse. Again, like many proverbs, there's a comparison. Sometimes the comparisons are similar, and sometimes they're opposites. And so you get these statements that are, this is better than this, or this is like this. And that's this kind of thing. And these are two similar statements. But let's unpack them for a minute. So what he's saying, and some of your modern translations will take this word prince and put in their leader or leadership. So patience can persuade a leader, can persuade leadership. And that's a good actual translation to what he's getting to. And that day, they had kings, and actually Solomon was a king, and they had princes, and what he's trying to get to is when people are in positions of authority, if you go to them and say, look, we need to do this, king. We need to do this, manager. We need to do this, boss, because it's the right thing to do. And you don't show them patience. What you're going to get is ego and pride and hard heart. This applies to husbands. Somebody just said, mm-hmm. Apparently your husband's not in here. This applies to kids even though the kid shouldn't be the leader in your home, this applies to parents. If you believe you are in the right, you are absolutely convinced. Let's just say you are, because that helps. The way to bring about what you want with the person you're trying to influence is not force, it's not uh, anger, it's not aggression, it's not continuing to beat the drum, it's patience. But then notice the second part. These are two similar comparisons. And soft speech can break bones. Soft speech. Now, what, what's the point here with the break a bone reference? Well, a bone is something hard. It's difficult to break. You can break a bone, right? But it creates a lot of pain. So, yeah, you could break a bone by grabbing somebody's arm and snapping it in two different directions. Yeah, it's just a horrible analogy. But what Solomon's trying to get to is, you know what else can break a bone? Kindness, gentleness, respect. 
patience. In other words, if you will just take a deep breath, over time, you could actually bring about the thing you wanted. That's powerful. What's really interesting, though, most interesting, is I decided to look up this word right here in this context in Hebrew. And when I looked it up, it blew me away. I had learned in Bible college that there's a word in the Old Testament. And I didn't remember it until I looked it up. I've actually taught you guys this before. There's a word in the Old Testament and it has to do with the wrath of God, the anger of God. But like many Old Testament Hebrew words, they're idioms or, or word pictures. They're, they're telling you something and the idea is it's supposed to create a picture for you. And I want you to see this picture. So this word patience in the Old Testament in Hebrews literally means nose, face, anger, dual nostrils. What? Come on, is that not interesting at least? If nothing else, like that's your tidbit for the day. You can walk away and carry that one with you. So when the translators come across this word here, literally what it says is nose, anger face. Now, I'm from um, an American family. I'm a true melting pot. I'm a little bit of this, that, and the other thing. I don't even know all that I am. However, a lot of what I am is Italian. So consequently, I get the Italian nose. It just comes with it. I can't help it. It's the way I was made. If you were to go over to the Middle East, you'll find many Middle Eastern people have large noses. That's not a knock in any way, shape, or form. That's the way God made them. That's how they look. And what's going on in the text is, in the, this is a word picture. The whole idea of nose, face, anger, or nostrils, is the flaring nostrils. So in that culture, when somebody was angry, and they had not yet exploded their anger. They were holding back their anger. You could tell that they were holding back their anger simply by looking them in the face and seeing their nose flaring. And that's the word picture for patience. And what's fascinating is this is one of the most common words for patience for God in the Old Testament. When it says over and over and over again, that God was patient with Israel as they continued to rebel against him and sin against him and do the things he told them not to do after he saved them, after he rescued them, after he brought them out of slavery, after he provided for the manna from heaven, after he gave them a cloud by day, a fire by night, he split the Red Sea, after all his blessings the miracles and everything he did to care for them and they still rebelled against him and now we get the patience of God which is really the flaring nostril of the Lord, angry, but holding back his anger. This is why we get these different translations of this word. In Proverbs 25, 15, you'll see just some of these other translations. The New Living Translation, the NIV, the ESV, they all put in the word patience. But if you go all the way back to some of the older English translations, King James puts in the long forbearing or the NASB puts in forbearing. And this word is interesting in and of itself. Realize this isn't a Greek or Hebrew word. It's an English word, but it's an old English word. And it really breaks down into two parts, for and bear. And what the bear part means is to carry or to hold or to abide. So what you have in the word patience is this idea of Anger being held back 
on the person. And the idea of for has to do with kind of like beforehand. So beforehand, there's a determination to hold back the anger, to hold back the wrath. And this is the picture we get of God throughout the Old Testament and the picture, the one that is commanded of us. But here's what's most fascinating. God held back his anger for generations since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and that sin had been passed down. By the time we get to the flood, God carries out justice on the earth because people have become so evil. He wipes everybody off the earth except for Noah and his family. God held back his complete wrath. Why? Because he did not intend to destroy everybody and start over. He's a loving God. In fact, one of the other words often used to describe the patience of God is long-suffering. Now, that's a fascinating word, one we don't use in English today. But the idea that God suffers for a long time before he acts, and that's another word for patience. He suffered and he suffered. He kept going, kept, kept going, and people rebelled against God at the Tower of Babel. Pride had gotten so great in man that they were going to take on God and build a tower to heaven, and he came down, and instead of just crushing everybody and starting over, he bore it up again. And then he saved his people and they rebelled against him. He boarded up again and over and over and over again until we get to this critical moment in time where God says, that's it. At the very apex of time, God poured out all that bore up wrath and anger in this. And as the Roman soldiers stripped Jesus of his clothes and whipped him and placed a crown of thorns on his head, Jesus hung on that cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is actually pointing back to a psalm of David. And David wrote and prophesied this moment ahead of time. We read in Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. The punishment, the wrath that we deserved that was being held back was poured out upon him. When Jesus is in the garden and he says to God, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. What he's actually saying, there's this analogy, this word picture throughout the Old Testament, the cup of the wrath of God. And Jesus knows that he's going to drink the cup and he's going to drink every last drop. And he's saying to the Father, I realize what I'm about to do. This patience that you have held back and held back and held back the wrath for so long. I'm about to drink every last drop. Not just for all of time up to that moment, but for all of time forward so that it encompasses and it envelops you and me today. And to that end, Jesus says, take this cup from me. And then he says, but not my will be done, yours. And with that, he went to the cross. That's important because it's with that in mind that Paul writes this, 1 Timothy chapter one. This is a trustworthy saying and everybody should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. 
But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Go back one verse. Go back, if you will. This, man, this is powerful. Because here what Paul is saying, if you don't know Paul, he's a terrorist. Literally killing Christians. And Paul, when it dawns on him and the gospel of light shines into his dark world, it dawns on him that God should have crushed him for everything he did. And then what Paul is saying, don't miss this. Man, if God can forgive Paul, and Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, the leader of all sinners, the worst of all sinners, the prince of all sinners, the CEO and president of all sinners, in Paul's mind, there's nobody a greater sinner than him. And so he uses God's patience with him to say, so that other great sinners will realize they're free. And people like maybe you who think you're not as great a sinner as Paul, you too can believe because if God can forgive Paul, then God can forgive you. But all of this comes from this place here. God's great Patience. This is huge. How can you be patient with your kids? How can you show patience with your spouse when they will not change? How can you be patient with your boss? Your pastor? Not that you should ever need that. How? Because God was first patient with you. I love this. Paul follows this up in another book. Romans chapter 15, verse three, he says this. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, and the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Now let's just stop there. Go back, sorry. Before we go on to the next one. I want you to see this. What Paul's now building is this idea of because Jesus carried the full wrath of God and because God has been patient with you and he's being patient with me, Realize this, on the cross when Jesus is hanging there being crucified and people are walking past him hurling insults and mocking him, Jesus says, the insults of those who insult you, oh God, have fallen on me. So now Jesus on the cross, remember, he looks down at those who are mocking him, though he did nothing wrong, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that not patience? I mean, when everybody's attacking you and accusing you and coming at you or maybe disrespecting you, when these things are going on, everything in you wants to raise up and say, crush them, God, come on, let them have it. And Jesus says, no, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's patience. And this little prophecy here that is fulfilled in Jesus is passed on to us because we are called the body of Christ. And so while we live on this earth, we are Jesus here. So when people insult you, especially because your faith, when you're mocked even though you did the right thing, when those things are happening to you, you can hang on and say, I'm being like Jesus. I'm being patient. Our strength for patience comes not from our ability to try harder, not from our ability to just suck it up. Our strength for patience comes from the one who is first patient. Look at the next verse, verse four. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait 
patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. What Paul is saying here is we can gaze upon the cross and can always find patience because Christ was patient. And we can look at the scriptures and understand that God is doing something. He's doing something in you and he's doing something in me. So as we hang on and God hasn't done what you believe he needs to do yet and others haven't done what you believe they need to do yet, we can hold on and trust not necessarily that they're right and that we're wrong, but that God is right. And his timing is always perfect. So this past week <clears throat> was a bit tiring, stressful for me, and my wife was out of town uh, because she had a family member who was sick and had some medical stuff going on. So I took the boys because I'm the dad of the year, except uh, I got really tired. I was doing a really good job the first day. Second day, well, that's another illustration for another day. But the first day, I was really tired. And the boys, if you have kids, you understand, the boys were a bit irritable, and they were at each other constantly. But I was doing good. I was taking deep breaths. I was being patient. And we learned this great little gift from a guy named Rick Sudsbury who goes here, a phenomenal man. He helped us a lot, came alongside us. He taught us this great little gift called a redo, a redo. So many times, instead of just disciplining my kids, and I realize there's time for discipline, but instead of disciplining my kids, we have a redo. So if my son theoretically throws his drink across the room because he's angry, the redo says, first, you have to clean it up. If there's a mess, you usually have lids at this age. And then we're going to redo that whole thing. If you didn't want what you got or you didn't get what you want or you, you know, whatever it is, you're frustrated or something, we're going to recreate the whole moment and you're going to redo it the right way because I want you to learn how to do it the right way. So you clean up the mess. Now, we're going to re-pick up the cup. We're going to recreate the whole moment. Oh, they hate this. This is worse than a timeout, let me tell you. Like, I have to do this whole thing again. Yep, we're going to do it the right way. So go all the way back to the moment. I hand him the cup. Now, first thing you get to say is, Daddy, I'm sorry for disrespecting you. That takes a while. We've got to work through that. They'll get there, Okay. Daddy, I'm sorry for disrespecting you. Now we're gonna do this the right way. Did you need something? Yes, what did you want? I wanted juice instead of milk. Okay, let's ask for that with respect. Son, try this. Daddy, can I have juice? You gave me milk. Daddy, can I have juice? You gave me milk. Thank you for asking with respect. I've already poured the drink. I want you to finish this and then I'll get you juice as soon as we're done. If they throw the cup because they're mad, we start the whole process over again. Now, when I'm walking through this with my son, and he didn't throw his drink, I'm just using another illustration, but when I'm walking through this with one of my sons because he did do something, he said something very loud and disrespectful to his dad. So he's, you know, under 10, we're still working through these things, and I looked at him and I said, we're gonna do this again, you're not gonna yell at your dad, that's disrespectful, you're not gonna say this, that's disrespectful, you're gonna treat your daddy with respect. And my other son, who is the genius in the family, she says, well then why, dad, is it okay for you to yell at us? because I'm your dad getting time out and shut up. <laughs> That's the right answer, right? I know who you think you are, I'll tell you. I'll make another one that looks just like you. <laughs> I looked at my son and I had a chance to teach him two things. Number one, sometimes your daddy raises his voice because you won't listen when I speak quietly. If you run out into the road, boys, and I look at you and say, kids, kids, come back here, and there's a car coming, are you going to listen to me? No. So do I have to raise my voice to get your attention? Yes. They know all this. And sometimes when you guys are fighting and going at it, what happens is you stop hearing, you stop thinking, so I raise my voice to get your attention. Have you noticed that after I raise it, I often drop it down when I'm talking to you after you've, I've gotten your attention? Yes. And then I said, boys, here's the other reason because your daddy has a sinful heart. And it's not okay. 
And sometimes I raise my voice because I'm angry and I'm not being patient. And sometimes I raise my voice because I'm not having the peace in our home that I want us to have, and I'm sorry. And I will try harder. Will you forgive me? It was a beautiful moment where I got to teach them and model for them repentance. Because I know, I know in me as this battle in the flesh with what God wants for my life. I know that. Did you know that one of the fruits of the Spirit, we are told by Paul, is patience? What a fruit of the Spirit is. Go read Galatians 5 and 6 sometimes. It's a beautiful passage. What Paul lets us know in that passage is our flesh naturally is rebelling against God. So we get this long, what we call vice list. It's a sin list. We get things like adultery and immorality and greed and um, idolatry, not just adultery. And we get uh, all kinds of fighting and division and dissension and backbiting and witchcraft and all these things. And it's not an exhaustive list, but there's a lot in there. And he says, this is what we're bent towards before Jesus resurrects us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes inside us, what we have now is the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience. It's a God-driven, God-fueled, God-inspired change in our hearts that we no longer have to have what we want or what we need and need it now. We could take a deep breath because the Spirit in us no longer wants division and dissension and arguing and fighting and greed and lust. And the Spirit is going right to the heart of the issue and he's cutting out our judgmentalism, our self-righteousness, our pride, our puffed-upness, and saying, take a deep breath. God is seated on the throne. You don't have to be. I love the way uh, a guy named Richard Cecil, just a pastor from many, many years ago, he's dead now, he says this. God's way of answering the Christian's prayer for more patience, experience, hope, and love, often is to put him into the furnace of affliction. I don't know about you, but I have often prayed for patience as I then leave the prayer time and go do what I believe God told me to do. There is a time for action, but I love what Richard's trying to get to here is he's trying to say, when you ask God to help you be patient, it's very possible that he's going to put you into a circumstance that is very difficult and very painful, one that likely will make you cry out and say, God, where are you? Where are you gonna act? When are you gonna show up? I've been asking and asking and asking, and it's because God first wants to create in you patience and trust and a deep faith that he is working right here, right now in your life. When you begin to trust that, then we can get to work on those other things. Fantastic little book by Ed Welch called Running Scared. I don't have a slide for you, it's just a great little book. It's all about anxiety and worry and a God of rest, but he has this great little quote. He's talking about how with Jesus, the very last thing he says before he rides up in heaven, he says, and I am with you to the end of the age, to the very end. And as he says that, this is powerful because then what Ed does is he goes back all the way to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and he walks all the way through to that moment and he shows how this has always been the story of God. God's never left you. He's never abandoned you. He's not gonna quit on you. And he has this great little quote. He says, here's the basic outline of God's strategy. God allows his children to have their backs to the wall so that when deliverance comes, it will obviously be from God alone. Then he speaks words of comfort 
promises his presence, asks for our allegiance, and reveals his deliverance. See, it's when you feel the weight of everything pressing around you, pushing around you, and you feel like you're gonna crush, you just can't take it anymore. God, when? Change them, fix this, do something. It's at that moment when you feel most desperate that God says, wait. In fact, there's actually a, a verse in the Old Testament that says, our strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We don't get strong by trying harder. We don't get strong by manipulating. We don't get strong by doing it in our flesh. We get strong by patiently saying, I will bear the brunt of this and trust that God is going to act. In every single relationship in your life, including your one with God, requires patience. There's no cutting corners here. If you try to pick up the the tool and get it done on your own, you're gonna find there is no fast track to this. God will create situations in your life that force you into patient trust in him. In fact, Paul writes about this. In 2 Corinthians, uh, we find Paul is writing out another letter to the church at Corinth, and he's struggling because he can't be with them right now, but they are withholding their love. He feels this tension. Really, 1 Corinthians, man, he laid it out. He rebuked them. He went hard. He laid into them like a parent would a child when they're frustrated. He, He gave them specific actions. I want you to do these things. Prove your love to me. And the good news is they did. So he writes 2 Corinthians, but he feels this gap, this this burden between them. And I want you to get what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Look at this. As God's partners, he says, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then just ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, I want you to get where we're going. We're setting up patience. What Paul just got done laying out is God has been unbelievably patient with you and you wonder, God, where are you? Are you gonna show up? Are you gonna help us? And at just the right moment, God sent his son Jesus to save you, to redeem you, to restore you. Because here's the irony of patience. When you start to understand that God is patient, you start to get tempted to think, I'll take advantage of that. You start to think to yourself, well, I got 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years until I die. I'll wait to repent. I'll wait to change. God's patient, right? He already poured out his wrath on Jesus. There's no reason to take it serious now. And Paul's making this argument to say, don't take advantage of the patience of God. When you need it the most, he showed up. He always does. Today, right here, right now, is the day of salvation. The day for you to say, I'm walking away from who I was. And I'm turning to God in Christ. Literally in a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that if you've never done it. But then I want you to see what Paul says next. Remember, he's writing a church that there's a gap between them. There's pain between them. And Paul goes on and he says this. We, this is Paul and his his companions who've been preaching the gospel, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. No one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. 
we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and have gone without food. Do you get, before I go on, what, what Paul has said so far? Look, you're withholding your love from us. You're withholding a relationship from us. But look at all that we've done to show you that we are legitimate, that you can trust us, that we love you. We've been beaten. We've been put in prison, faced anger mobs, worked to exhaustion. We're doing everything we can for you to know. What Paul is getting to is we are patiently enduring pain, sacrifice for you. This is anti the American dream. Guys, the message in America today is believe in God, trust in God, he'll make you rich, healthy, and wise. Man, get a bear house, get a nicer car, go on a better vacation. But the message of the gospel is that Paul and people like him gave up everything this world had to offer so that even maybe just one Hopefully hundreds or thousands might come to know him. They sacrificed literally whatever it required, whatever it took for the call of the gospel. In America, we preach such a message of comfort. I've been guilty before. I believe in boundaries with all my heart. I believe Jesus and Paul and others set boundaries. But if we take a boundary outside of its biblical context, what we end up doing is withholding ourselves from hard situations that are stressful and uncomfortable because what we really want is the American dream for our family. And Paul is saying, because I so patiently want you to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, I will endure whatever it takes. Talk about patience. I mean, we read through these things and we slip through them, but imagine the countless sleepless nights from the pain, the exhaustion, the angry mobs, the fear, the anxiety of all these things. And in those sleepless nights, knowing that the people you're doing it for won't believe you, won't trust you, won't put their faith and their hope in you, and all you can do is pray for them. That is the definition of patience. Look at what Paul says. He goes on. I gotta make sure I get the right spot here. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding. Here it is again, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use weapons of righteousness and the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people will honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we have always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We have nothing, and yet we have everything. And Paul just goes on to prove his point. In the midst of the afflictions, I have great joy because I have patience that it's going to lead you to God. Again, another quote by a famous dead preacher. I want to be one one day. Here's what he says. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, There is nothing which so certifies the genuineness of a man's faith as his patience and his patient endurance is keeping on steadily in spite of everything. Okay, let me make a quick application here, and then we're gonna close. Some of you have been ready to quit on God. And I don't know why, but you decided to come today, and you're standing here, sitting here, struggling, 
whether God is real or whether God cares. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for you that God will give you patience, patience to wait on him. Some of you came here today and you were on the brink of your marriage being over. You're done being patient. And I want you to both be stung by the truth and encouraged by the grace. God has not quit on you and he has not called you to quit on them. Some of you are here because there's a brokenness in a relationship, whether it's at work or in the home or with a neighbor, a friend. And you desperately want them to come out of whatever it is, their stubbornness, their pride, their addiction, and it's ruining you. And you're wanting to set boundaries and you probably need to set some to be healthy because you're trying to fix everything and do everything for them, but at the same time, you're ready to quit on them because they're not where you want them to be. One of my favorite students of all time when I was a youth minister, I've talked about him before, big dude, short but big dude, football player. And um, his dad walked out when he was a young man. Many other men came into his life to be father figures, but none of them ever became dad. He's told me many times he sees me as the dad that he never really had in his life. He had a lot of anger, a lot of anger. Patience was not his gift. And one day at a youth event, he blew up at one of my volunteers, an adult. And this adult had their own set of stuff, and his junk, when he blew up, touched all the nerves on this person's junk. And I'll never forget um, that person coming to me that night and saying, I needed to kick him out of the church, out of the youth group. He said, I know guys like that. They don't change. And I lovingly looked at my volunteer and said, if I kick him out, where's he going to go? I know this is hard. It's not okay. I'll sit down with him. He'll say he's sorry. I promise you that. It took many, many years of pain and struggle. I'll never forget when he wanted to get married. Um, his fiance called me to ask and I said, he's not ready yet. He needs help. He needs counseling. And boy, was he mad at me. And then a couple years ago, he wrote me a long letter letting me know he appreciated my patient, tough love with him. That he was so mad at me, but he realized at every step what I was trying to do was best for him. Man, it took a decade to get that letter. And there were some nights where I was so ready to throw in the towel. You can ask my wife. There were nights I went home in anger and in pride and in tears, said, I'm done. I'm done with these kids. I'm done with these guys. They don't get it. They're never going to get it. And to this day, some of them haven't. But I patiently pray and wait because Jesus hasn't returned. And until he returns, there's hope. And the hope, the hope is in him. And I want to pray for some of you in just a moment because some of you are barely hanging on to hope. And you need to know that God sees and God knows. That's why Paul concludes this whole section with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Do you hear what Paul just said? I've done all these things to prove that I love you. Come home. Come back. Trust us. Because you can. Paul has waited patiently to this moment.
Here's what I know. This message falls all over the place in different ways. And I want to pray specifically for those of you who need it today. This is weird. We don't do this every week. And if it weirds you out, that's okay. Come back next week. We'll do something different that's weird. (laughs) If you are in this room right now and you desperately need God's patience, would you just stand? I gotta be honest, I had no idea be that many people. I wanna pray over you that uh, God's spirit uh, will give you the power and the strength you need. Listen, when I'm done praying, our service will be over, okay? I'm gonna ask that everybody just kinda leave quietly. We'll play some quiet music. If you are in this room and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, your best hope at patience is trying harder. And you already know from your efforts, it fails every time. You need God-fueled patience in your life. It only comes by surrender and faith. When we're done, I want you to come over here to my left, your right, under this curtain. I want you to find one of our staff members and, and, and volunteers, and they will tell you how to be one with Jesus. The rest of you, let's pray. Father, Oh, God, right now. We all need patience. Let's just be honest. Sitting or standing, we all need patience. But God, the people who stood, there's clearly something huge going on. And they are ready to throw in the towel on you or they're ready to throw in the towel on somebody else. And maybe, God, it's somebody significant, a spouse, a child, a parent. God, there are no relationships in our life that hurt more than these because they're so unbelievably personal and close to us. They're supposed to be the safe place, the place where there is unbelievable trust and love. God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you because he showed us that even in the face of a people who should have willingly and gladly followed Paul and trusted Paul after all he did for them and with them, and yet they withheld their love. God, we thank you that he kept loving and he kept serving and he kept pouring out and he never gave up because he knew what we struggle to embrace and that your spirit is at work in all of us. God, give us patience, the strength to trust that you are acting. God, give us patience, the ability to hold back our harsh words, our hold back our anger, to pull back on what we believe we ought to pour out on others, and instead, God, turn to the cross where you poured out all of your anger, all of your wrath because of my sin, my rebellion. And Father, teach us patience in that place. Fill us with your spirit that we might go from here more like Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.